Welcome to the ACO Show. This is Joe Schunkweiler. I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Karen Smith. Dr. Smith is a luminary in the field of family medicine and a nationally recognized thought leader. She's also an Allidade medical director. We spoke at length about why being a part of Allidade and being part of an ACO is part of her pursuit of happiness. I hope you'll enjoy. Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm here today with Dr. Karen Smith joining us all the way from North Carolina. And a little shift from our usual operating practice. You've had a few shows where it's just Dr. Josh Israel. Well, today you got you just got me. So um, I would I'm very excited to speak to Dr. Smith today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Smith. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share and to um, give some insight on what I see is going on in the future of healthcare. Well, that's a great setup, and I, I, I want to get right to it. So I know that you and are part of the leadership team um, of a group that we're really excited about here at Allidade and is, is relatively new to the Allidade family in North Carolina. Uh, and um, fairly recently, you all just uh, formally kicked off your, your time with us. Um, I'd love to hear what that kickoff was like for you and what led you to, to come to Allidade in the, in the first place. Very good. I can tell you the um, my experience with Allidade is based on a need to answer some of the challenges that we're finding in practicing in a small, independent, solo group, rural, solo practice in uh, Rayford, North Carolina. The Allidade experience has been wonderful, and we just had a kickoff um, event. Um, allowing us to now do more work with our largest insurer in the state, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. The room was full of doctors, administrators, managers, care coordinators, practice facilitators, and everybody was waiting for this wonderful news. For so many years, our practices have been transforming. We've had electronic health records integration. We've done meaningful use of testation. We did the wonderful patient-centered medical home achievement, um, implemented patient portals. And at the same time, we have been spinning our wheels in the fee-for-service market. So now we have an arrangement where we can actually take care of patients in a population-based setting, and we have the resources and the tools that was provided by the Allidate ACO organization. And now, is this your first experience in an ACO? Um, you referenced, you know, the patient-centered medical homes and all these transitions. What's your background like in, in the value-based care space? My background in the value-based payer, uh, payer um, space has really um, been through only that of the MSSP as part of another ACO. Um, and so even with that, we did not see the promise that we are now seeing with the new arrangement with the Blue Cross Blue Shield organization. 
That's great. Yeah, and, and it's exciting to hear um, as you went through the the diversity and range of people just at a single kickoff, which is something that we see all over the country uh, for these similar groups. Um, but but you know, as as we've discussed um, both on this podcast and and elsewhere, you know, I come from the clinical medicine space, and I know that not just providers or doctors or nurses, but everybody can be um, sort of down and, and cynical sometimes in the current environment. Uh, and coming into that room for that kickoff, was that your experience? Did you feel like there was some some cynicism or apprehension about um, what they're about to undertake with Allidaid? We definitely had apprehension, and I suspect it's because it's new to the doctors in North Carolina. But we also had to recognize, you know, who, who are we actually responding to? And so we heard words in a very emotionally provoking observation that said the doctors are not happy, the payers are not happy, the patients are not happy. And it was like, oh, we have a lot of unhappy people. Um, And we really need to position ourselves to change it around. And so those statements are pretty straightforward. And and I had to ask myself, how in the world did we get to such a state of unhappiness in healthcare when we live by those basic truths? And I always like to to, um, reflect on the pursuit of happiness. And in that pursuit of happiness, as we know, as part of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if the pursuit of happiness is defined by a fundamental right, as we know in the Declaration of Independence, well, what happened to health care? Did we lose it? Did we miss it somewhere? We know it was there in 1776, and so um, the question becomes, how can we get back on that track? How can we pursue happiness in healthcare? That's a great, that's a great segue, and, you know, uh, Allidade is based just outside of Washington, D.C., and so um, those of us who work at headquarters, and I'm one of those, uh, one of those folks, uh, we are constantly reminded of our historical precedents here in this country. So, um, you know, I, this is a first, I think, where we've never had a Jefferson uh, uh, discussion on the ACO show, but it's, you know, come for the healthcare and health policy and value-based care and stay for the, the civics lesson. So I love it. Um, so you, you've given a good qualitative picture. Did the numbers back that up? Like, have you seen that? Um, does in data from your organizations and in your your practice? The data is interesting. Um, from the Robert Graham Center, the Policy Studies in Family Medicine and Primary Care, currently in the United States, we know that um, primary care physicians are representing one-third of the total population. Mm-hmm. Um, and this data is coming from the 2018 AMA um, master file. But when we look at it on a per capita basis, so 76 primary care physicians per 100,000 in population um, across the country, but in North Carolina, we only have 62. Mm. Wow. Um, we also know that out of those um, physicians, um, 37% of them um, in terms of family physicians are over the age of 55, and that's on a national level. 
And we also recognize that there's an increased number of female physicians who are entering the discipline. But one of the things we want to pay attention to, adults who have primary care physicians have 33% lower health care costs. We also know that for each 1% increase in primary care physicians, um, particularly on an average um, metropolitan region, that we will see a decrease of 503 hospital admissions, 2,968 emergency room visits, and a decrease of 512 surgeries. Wow. But the problem that we're seeing that increasing the percent of healthcare dollars on primary care is not what we are currently doing, and we need to do that if we are going to realize a decrease in overall healthcare costs and improve quality in our country. Yeah. I mean, those numbers are pretty stark uh, in terms of access and then, you know, return on investment, basically, you know, like what you get for each increase in primary care provider uh, and primary care physician in these areas is, um, that's pretty amazing. And now, North Carolina, where you practice, is interestingly situated here in that um, it's even lower than what already seems like a really low per capita uh, ratio of primary care providers to population. How does that play out for you as one of those primary care providers? It's definitely um, creating angst, shall we say, Um, when we know that 64% of the folks who live in North Carolina reside in healthcare shortage areas, um, and we we simply do not have enough. North Carolina needs 1,885 physicians or a 31% increase increase by the year of 2030 if we are to accommodate the primary care workforce supply in our state. I practice and live in an area that is a HIPSET area, the healthcare primary, um, the health professional shortage area. Okay. And this really does create a problem. I had the opportunity uh, this week of actually going on the Hill and um, meeting with the uh, North Carolina legislators, our two senators, um, mm-hmm. with their health LAs in the House, and um, had quite a bit of insight and able to share with them what it is that we need to take care of this healthcare shortage in terms of the doctors in our communities, but how else can we make sure that patients are getting the services that they so desperately need in these um, areas of healthcare shortages? Yeah, that's um, as a former health, uh, health LA on the Senate side, um, I'm, I'm, I know those meetings well, but for folks who haven't done it, um, or haven't you know done it in the current environment? Talk me through what the you know what was that like? Like what were you hearing from the staff and from the members just from North Carolina about the likelihood that we're going to solve some of these big problems? Very good. I've had the opportunity of doing the Hill visits uh, at least for five years, and I must say that this year was a little different. Um, it was it was quite obvious um, that the challenges facing healthcare delivery was clearly recognized, but several of the health LAs and even one of our um, congressional representatives said, you know, we're really distracted by other activities on the Hill right now. What can that and, be? 
<laughs> and what he said was, really don't expect too much of a change over the next uh, two-year time frame. And I said, okay, but at least let us plant the seeds. So here are some of the seeds that the AFP, in conjunction with our North Carolina um, delegates, um, presented. There is a Senate bill, Senate 289 for Rural GME, and mm -hmm. on that one it is the Rural Physician uh, Workforce Production Act, and um, clearly it's aimed at increasing the uh, number of rural physicians um, to go into um, into these areas. Um, right. We also note that we had uh, Senate um, 1191 and HR 2815, which is the Teaching Health Centers, and that one I really want to emphasize because the teaching health centers um, in North Carolina, we have three, but the idea of actually training and educating residents in the communities uh, where they are needed, um, teaching them about real rural health um, makes a difference. And so the, real, the teaching health centers, unfortunately, will lose their funding as of September 30th of this year. Right. And the ask was to increase that funding for an additional five years. It's difficult for a, a student to decide to go into uh, a family medicine residency and not be assured that that seat is going to exist for three years. Of and course. the training program is three years. Right. We also had another interesting one, H.R. 2774, which was the Primary Care Patient Protection Act, and that one uh, was really looking at the high deductible health plans, trying to increase the number of uh, basic visits that a patient could have and waive or not have a deductible um, uh, associated uh, with that. It would be extracted out, so the person could at least see the doctor uh, two or three times out of the year and not be responsible for that payment um, despite having the uh, health savings accounts that some of them do have. Hmm. The other one that we were looking at was H.R. 1358, Advancing um, Medical Resident Training in the Community Hospitals Act. Um, this one has to do with the caps on the program. So in a community hospital, if the residency program has a cap of two, and the other training programs maybe have um, lower, um, have higher caps where they can have other residents trained. That's a problem. Um, we heard from our colleagues over in the Charlotte area where they have a cap of two, and despite having an increased need, the hospital was not able to allocate resources to assist with training um, those residents in that setting. And then the last ask that we had was uh, very interesting, which was appropriate funding on studying gun violence um, and firearm morbidity and mortality prevention research, research. I know that's a little bit different, but the way that one was framed, when we are now uh, looking at maternal um, morbidity and the opioid epidemic, one of the things that we note as a primary care physician that activities occurring or we're seeing events in our area but unfortunately, these events can reach epidemic or crisis level. If we can study these events and study these behavior trends early on, like the use of guns, um, perhaps we can prevent it from getting to um, mass epidemic levels. Unfortunately, once a, um, a victim has been lost to guns, whether it's through suicide or homicidal acts, that victim, their family is in crisis. But when we're seeing trends, we need to research it and study it and understand 
what we can do about it. And it's often the primary care setting in the communities that we are seeing changes in behavior. And so that was the purpose of those um, five um, asks that we uh, brought to the Hill last week. What's What stood out for me um, that, A, with the looking at the appropriation amounts for gun violence, it speaks to the breadth of practice that a primary care physician has, particularly in a rural community, you know, that it's, there's nothing that's beyond the scope in a lot of ways, which is really, really interesting to, to, that that was a formal position. Um, And then going back through some of those, and I think you did a great job of of going through that. um, As you were talking about this, I have to say, Dr. Smith, this is like a little bit of a bummer. You know, it sounds like everybody, everybody is in, in sort of a tough way. We got all these numbers that are going against us um, in terms of primary care access for patients, particularly in your home state of North Carolina. So just thinking about your own experience now, uh, you know, I've met you, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of, of speaking with you in person before, and you seem like such a positive person. So where are you on this? Are you in that, that, that camp that's cynical and concerned, or are you optimistic about the future? I tell you, um, I I really appreciate um, getting my insight because it was really clear. The legislators were not happy. Their constituents were not happy. The doctors are not happy. But I'm kind of happy as a lark. (laughs) I'll tell you, um, I've had opportunity uh, presenting um, on the MIPS cost webinar and trying to explain to non advanced practice um, physicians that um, what they should anticipate in the 15% cost category for MIPS and um, the subsequent increases that's going to occur beyond 2019. Well, as part of Allidate ACO, we do not have to address that category um, from that standpoint. And so I'm very happy because I'm part of a solution And when we talk about our opening and pursuit of happiness, yes, we are actually on a a path that is going to allow us um, to move forward um, with recognizing the value of primary care, to get payment that's commensurate with our services, um, to pay attention to the business of health care that's contingent upon the delivery of quality services, but we're definitely posturing ourselves um, to be in a positive mindset because we're going to reach our goal. We see it. We're going to reach our goal. Well, so it sounds like you're, you're decidedly on the happiness side of that spectrum. Definitely on the happiness side, but rest assured, we also recognize that we have work to do. Right. But the good thing about it is, it's one thing to be working and on the hamster treadmill, as I alluded to earlier, versus actually having a, uh, a strategic plan, which um, Allidate has introduced for our practice. We have, um, we can see the deliverables, and we know that we're going to be able to claim those deliverable. Um, we we know that our staff will need to invest their thought, their time, their energy. Uh, we also recognize that our colleagues are going to have to constantly utilize the app. 
Uh, we have to incorporate um, care coordination strategies. Right. And we need to remain open to other initiatives like adopting um, behavior health strategies into our practice and paying attention to the data that's being presented to us. But we're going to have to hold each other accountable right. and hold each other accountable while at the same time, if we have somebody that's falling behind in the rear, let's pull them up. If we have some folks that are slipping on the sides and the flanks, let's pull them in. But all of us are going to have to forge through a basically uncharted path going into territories that we have not been before, particularly in North Carolina. And we're going to have to go in with the vision of promoting quality of care for our patients and embracing our patients and making sure that we keep them engaged. Well, I, you know, I, I think that you are, um, I for one am motivated by your, your passion for this. And um, what I'm struck by, as you talked about using the app, which is the Allidaid uh, software that is essentially a, a data convening tool that helps you do all this hard work. Um, I wonder, given the breadth and the scope of what we're doing here at Allidade, where you see this not just as a North Carolina directive, but you're a national leader. You know, you are a you're somebody that that folks look to as a thought leader in this space. How much of this do you see beyond just a North Carolina issue? Like, do you see this as the beachhead for you as a leader in this space for a national movement within primary care? I absolutely do see it as um, leading the way. The partnership of, with Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina and Allidade is an eye-opener. It's an eye-opener and that there are um, entities across the country that they're all watching to see what happens. Will it work? Will it not work? Can primary care be a critical player in cost-effective healthcare delivery? Can we confirm that increasing the primary care spend does make good business sense and will permit the true healthcare leaders to retain their status in the industry? So who are these leaders who have placed themselves on the, on the um, higher levels? When we look at our um, large insurance groups and we look at our large provider groups, um, are they wise enough to pay attention and follow suit to the relationship that Blue Cross Blue Shield has developed with Allidade and developed similar type relationships in other areas and other states and recognize that if you're going to survive, if you think you're a healthcare leader, then my suggestion is that you really do pay attention and perhaps follow. Follow the path that this relationship is opening up to providers and patients in our state. I love that. Yeah, I think the the whole concept of of being willing to follow in order to lead is a really is a really great point and something that we're looking at very closely and trying to create communities, um, you know, regional communities, national communities to do this to do this work. Um, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't you know circle back to how you feel. Allidate in particular and the software and our services and the team that we have in place in a place like North Carolina, we'll use that as an example, but again, I think this applies nationally. Um, how are they, you know, bolstering this effort, um, getting at all those pain points that you, you listed out so eloquently? The Allidate app is producing um, 
a, a level of efficiency. It allows us to take what we've been doing in a very inefficient manner and now we apply the level of efficiency because we have access to data, but we have access to the technology. And we have access to our workforce development. We, we don't want to undermine how much money um, the economy benefits when we have the existence of primary care practices in these communities. I'll give you an example. In North Carolina, family medicine contribution to the economy is $5.9 billion in direct and indirect economic um, output. We are putting out 38,000 jobs, and we're looking at $2.7 billion in terms of wage and benefits. But why are we putting all of that money into inefficient systems does not make sense. So we utilize the tools from Allidade, and we utilize the resources and the facilitators, and we utilize the information that's coming to us that Allidade has been able to research and said, this will help you to do your job a little bit easier, a little bit better, and you're not going to be wasting as much money that you were wasting before. And by the way, you're going to achieve higher quality and you're going to be able to touch more people and feel good about what you're doing. Great. Well, it sounds like, uh, sounds like you guys are set up for success down there, and I look forward to, to being a part of that effort. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with, with me today, and I know our listeners will really enjoy hearing your perspective. Thank you so much. Again, we're definitely in the pursuit of happiness because we want to live the true life of a physician and show that for our students and residents who we want to mentor and give them the real picture of what a happy doctor looks like. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith. Thank you.